There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Things that you do. Producer and I were talking about the things you'll do. And boy, you know, you try, you try to figure out relationships and we're all in them. You know, either you're in a relationship with your spouse or your relationship with your parent or your child. You're all in relationships. And like, no matter how many times I will find myself telling somebody exactly what my needs are, they like give me all that lip service and shake their heads. And then the next day I'm like faced with the same thing. Anyway, not complaining. Um, I live a wonderful life. I'm blessed and highly favored, so I don't want to complain. And lo and behold, I was really, really interested. It only took two and a half years to admit the obvious, right? That the Biden campaign was behind the letter of 51 ex-Intel offices that falsely claimed that the Hunter Biden laptop was a Russian operation. Oh. And the stunt would have been politics as usual if not for the fact that the officials were leveraging official positions and supposed access to secret intelligence to make the claims. And more importantly, those claims were then used to engage and to coordinate like a big tech censorship and, uh, and, and literally perhaps change an election result. Just saying. You know, they prevented the story from spreading on social media. The media promoted the letter like it was a fact, right? And then they just used it. They said, well, we're not reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop during the election because, look, these 51 guys who are all experts described it as Russian disinformation. Well, apparently the uh, House Judiciary Committee got one of those 51 to flip. <laughs> That's what happened. And the committee had... Uh, conducted a couple of different interviews and in one of these transcribed interviews with a guy by the name of Michael Morell, who was a former deputy director of the CIA. Pretty prestigious, uh, you know, position, right? And he was one of the 51 signers of that letter, that public letter. And in his interview, he said that on or around October 17th of 2020, Anthony Blinken serving as a senior advisor to the Biden campaign. Now, remind yourself, he's now in the cabinet, but at the time, he was just an advisor to the campaign. He testified that on October 17th, Blinken reached out to him to discuss the Hunter Biden laptop story. And according to Morell, even though they said, well, we just want to know what you think about this, that was not what they wanted. They weren't just gathering his reaction to the story that was in the Post, the Washington Post. No, no, it set in motion the events that led to that public statement. 
That very same day, Anthony Blinken also emailed Mike Morell an article that was published in USA Today. And in that article, they said the FBI was examining whether the Hunter Biden laptop was part of a disinformation campaign. See, today we know all this to be false. So they used a USA Today story to bolster claims that it was a Russian plot. And does that remind anybody besides me of something else? Like, does that sound at all like the Steele dossier story? Oh, but Team Spygate doesn't seem to bother. They don't do it any different. They do the same mistakes. They do the same tricks. They never learn any new tricks. And apparently their allies in the media and the political allies go along with it. When you use newspaper publications that you've leaked to as a way of verifying stories you've leaked, how on earth does anybody not raise a red flag? You got a USA Today story about the FBI being used as the basis for ex-Intel people calling a story Russian disinformation, a claim that itself was a USA Today story. This is how Russiagate worked, right? So the uh, committee asked Morell, uh, prior to Secretary Blinken, because he's now Secretary, he wasn't at the time, you did not have any intent to write this statement, did you? Mike Morell said, I did not. Okay, so Anthony Blinken's call triggered, and Morell says, it did, yes. It triggered that intent in you? Yes, absolutely. Now, Blinken is the Secretary of State, a very poor one, um, but he was demonstrating his devotion to the Biden people on this uh, foreign policy matter. And he was covering, you know, CYA, covering Biden's behind. Morell then said that one of his two goals in releasing the statement was to help then-Vice President Biden in the debate and to assist him in winning the election. I want you to hear me, because this is as, as bankrupt as government can be. Here's a former CIA deputy chief saying, I did it because I wanted one party to win. So then, uh, you know, the Judiciary Committee said to him, well, what was the intent of the statement? He said there were two intents. One intent was to share our concern with the American people that the Russians were playing on this issue, and two, it was to help Vice President Biden. He was able to use that letter at the debate, even though Biden knew it was false. So there are 50 former national intelligence folks on the record saying, we believe it's Russian disinformation. Of course Joe Biden used that in the debate. I remember when he said it, thinking to myself like, really, but why did they write that letter? And how do they know? And how do we know to believe them? They're all Democrats. 50 former national intelligence folks. It's got to scare you to think that we have a national intelligence agencies that are that corrupt. Five former heads of the CIA in both parties. Okay, it's not like it was all Democrats. And what they were saying is a bunch of garbage. It wasn't a bunch of garbage. 
It was true. And they kept saying, oh, nobody believes that except Rudy Giuliani. We wanted to give him a leg up on Trump during the debates. Okay. Very good. Morell, by the way, at the time was working as a podcaster and a contributor at CBS News. And he was said to have been on the shortlist for CIA director. So, of course, his desire for a promotion definitely leveraged him against uh, you know, Trump against him in return for his cooperation, right? A spokesman for CBS News didn't immediately return to any emails that were sent from uh, John Solomon at Just the News earlier this week uh, looking for comment from Morell uh, or for the net from the network. Jim Jordan wrote that based on this testimony, it is apparent that the Biden campaign played an active role in the origins of the public statement, which had the effect of helping to suppress the Hunter Biden story and preventing American citizens, that's you and me, my friends, from making a fully informed decision during the 2020 presidential election. We believe that you possess material that would advance our oversight and inform potential legislative reforms. Accordingly, we ask that you please provide the following information and records in your personnel files. This is to Anthony Blinken, all right? Identify all people with whom you communicated about the inception, drafting, editing, signing, publishing, or promotion of the, quote, public statement on the Hunter Biden emails that was dated October 19th, 2020, during the period of October 14th to November 24th. And you are to produce all documents and communications referring to or relating to the public statement on the Hunter Biden emails dated October 19th, sent or received between the 14th and November 24th. The committee asked Blinken to produce these items no later than May 4th. That would be next week, my friends. And also requested they be from his personal materials because he was not Secretary of State when those events were unfolding. Because these events occurred prior to your nomination and confirmation as Secretary of State, we seek your cooperation with our requests in your personal and not your official capacity. You see, because otherwise, he would be able to claim executive privilege. Any discussions that he had had with Joe Biden or with any of the uh, cabinet members that he serves with today might be considered privileged communication, actually not with other cabinet members if they were no, not serving in a ca cabinet. This is just four days after Jim Jordan said that he's gonna release a report from the House panel on weaponization of government this month. There's only a couple of days left in this month, my friends, and he says he's gonna lay out detailed evidence and the key players that were behind that letter. It was all done with politics. And it looks, looks pretty damning, like there was some real connections with the Biden campaign. And he didn't get more specific than that. I saw him on an interview with John Solomon uh, Reports, that podcast. It also comes just three days after the House Intelligence Committee member, uh, Austin Scott, the representative from Georgia, said that the laptop cover-up was what won Joe Biden the presidency. He said, would Joe Biden be the president of the United States if there hadn't been the laptop cover-up. I doubt it. 
Would inflation be where it is if there hadn't been a laptop cover-up? I doubt it. You know, we're paying a price right now for the double standards that existed in journalism and in politics. So, you know, look, you know, Democrats Friday, they rejected the, the portrayal of Morell's interview. You know, right away, it's, oh, uh, uh, the, they cherry-picked excerpts. Of all the people to ever claim that somebody cherry-picked excerpts, why don't they go grab a hold of Adam Schiff's comments for a year and a half about Russiagate? No, they wouldn't do that. And they, they went on to say, a Democratic House Judiciary Committee spokesman said, to be clear, no part of that interview demonstrates that Tony Blinken or any other Biden campaign official asked Mike Morrell to write a letter about Hunter Biden's laptop. Well, of course not. You don't think the deputy chief of the CIA knows about plausible deniability? I mean, come on, guys, give me a break. They think we're that stupid. That's what's so offensive to me. They literally think that you and I are too stupid to not only have figured this out, but now that we have uh, you know, the beginnings of the fall of the House of Biden, I'll get to that. You know, you think it's just going to be Mike Morell statement? Or do you think that Jim Jordan is going to get to cherry pick some other people's transcribed interviews? The Democrats released a different part of the transcript in which Mike Morell says, I don't recall Blinken specifically asking me to write the letter. My memory is that he did not write. My memory is that he asked what I thought. You just can't make this stuff up. They were making stuff up knowing, because it's their business to know, that it wasn't true. It wasn't true. They did this to us. And when people get all insulted and angry with me and say, oh, stop, stop supporting Trump. You know, he can't win. And there's all this stuff going on and all these things. There's no way that I won't stand with him. There really isn't. When I look at the things that were done to him and for Joe Biden, my stomach roils. Uh, it makes me nauseous because this is the, the land of the free, the home of the brave. There are men and women right now on the front lines defending this country. And I had a group that was so hell-bent on destroying the fairness of that election because God forbid the, the people did what they did in 2016 and rose up and elected somebody that the elites don't like, they could not allow that to happen. You know, I, I, I'm sure some of you saw the interview between Mark Levin and Donald Trump. It basically was an infomercial for his book, Letters to Trump or whatever, which is, I'm sure is fascinating. I'm, I, you know, I'll read it. But I, I was watching the um, former president former president, future president, in my opinion, really just, just be so compelling, knows so much, and is so American in every sense of the word. Do I care that he has a potty mouth? Not particularly. I really don't. I don't like it, but that's the least of our problems. Does it make me uh, cheer 
when he says things like, I will not allow other countries to take advantage of us anymore. When I was there, they stopped taking advantage of us. You didn't hear people talking about nuclear. There was no invasion into Ukraine. Taiwan was safe for the moment. The North Koreans were pacified. You know, all I had to do was go over there and shake hands with these stupid guys. And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking like, which part of that doesn't matter to the Democrat leadership? You know, I expect nothing less than stupidity from AOC. But there are others up there who really, uh, when did they begin to loathe this country? When did they begin to believe that no matter what it takes, you got to keep the people out of the people's house and you got to keep the people out of the executive branch and you got to keep the people out of the, uh, you know, decision rendering of the Supreme Court. When did they decide that they knew better than we did. This is a republic that was predicated on bottom-up government. We make the rules, they gotta play by them. And that has completely fallen apart. So watching Trump make his case for what he would do when he's restored to the presidency, which was basically, we now know, manipulated against him. You bet I'm gonna back him. And by the way, where's my governor? Oh, that's right. He'll be away for the next two weeks. Yeah. Okay. Legislative session over? Okay. You know, you don't need to be governor anymore. You got to start your campaign. That ain't going to fly. It ain't going to fly with people like me. It's really not. Anyway, that's it. Don't forget, I have uh, a lot more to talk about today. I do want you to enter our contest. You can do that by either going to your app, the 850 WFTL app, and You get rewarded even when you just listen on the app. Or you can go to the website, 850WFTL.com. We're giving away a family four-pack of tickets to SunFest, which will take place May 5th through 7th, so the following weekend. And it's right there on the West Palm Beach beachfront. But if you don't enter, you can't win. So go to the website or look at the app, and maybe you'll have a chance. Stick with me. I'll be... Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts right back. And of course, you know, the big breaking news, and I'm sure that the left is jumping up and down. They couldn't be more excited. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of stuff that um, makes me really grateful that somehow I have managed to survive for as many years as I have. And I think there's a level that you've got to stay under. And if you don't, you're like, you, you can be just demolished with the stroke of a pen. Tucker Carlson is gone. He won't even get to say goodbye. The last show was Fridays. And, you know, they're right away, oh, well, uh, you know, it was mutual. This is not mutual, okay? There's no way you walk away away from the highest rated, if, if not the highest rated at all times, definitely in the top two, maybe the five thing gets ratings higher once in a while. 
And uh, look, they just spent $787 million in that defamation lawsuit. And uh, Tucker Carlson's show was one of the shows that was uh, apparently hard to overcome the information of, right? So Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have agreed to part ways. We thank him for his service to the network as a host and prior to that as a contributor. His last program was on Friday. Yeah, listen. Um, he's also got that uh, Grossberg, that producer, who's suing him because he had some, uh, ca I don't know, picture of Nancy Pelosi in a bathing suit. Or I, I, I forgot what that lawsuit's about, but that was out there too as well. But here's the issue. You know, I stopped watching Fox for the most part. People know that. I, I just don't. I just don't. Um, but I do watch Tucker Carlson, not a whole hour of him, but I will tune in and I, I pre-record it and then I will tune in and see what's interesting if there's any news story that I don't think anybody else is gonna cover. Like I could care less about you know women who have chickens for pets and all that other nonsense that he does. But if he's talking about you know the laptop or he's talking about the border, I'll listen. And then I'll fast forward to the next story. If I'm not interested, I fast forward. So it's not like I'm you know some kind of a Tucker Carlson devotee, I'm not. You know, I remember Tucker Carlson in all his, uh, you know, uh, in all of his incarnations from CNN to MSNBC, all of them, okay? And his laugh drives my husband crazy, so I can't watch it too often <laughs> with my husband around. But this really reminds me of when they let Bill O'Reilly go. Because at the time, there was no question that Bill O'Reilly had the most popular cable news show on the air, bar none, whatever it was, the No Spin Zone, I can't even remember. That show was number one always. And when the lawsuit began with the loofah girl or whatever it was, it was a sexual harassment. I don't mean to minimize sexual harassment lawsuits. You know, real ones are terrifying. And if, you know, if... Um, if he made uh, staff members, female staff members, uncomfortable or if he did anything inappropriate, well then, just like the guy who's out at CBS now, they gotta go, you know, I get that. But I never could quite figure out what the charge was, that he was talking about a loofah. And I thought, boy, this is, this is bigger than just whatever went on between Bill O'Reilly and this girl. This is Fox saying they don't want to stand behind their controversial hosts. That's what I thought then, and now I'm positive. Because Tucker Carlson's the most controversial host on this network. And let me tell you something, who's not far behind? Mark Levin. You know, I think that he has an illusion about being, um, I don't know, because he's not, really in the mix because he does the the Sunday show and appears as a guest on other shows that he somehow uh, m can escape this I don't think he can and I'm here to say this I think anybody who interviews Donald Trump is finished and that was what I saw on Levin last night Tucker Carlson did it last week I think that those shows even though the numbers are ridiculous. I mean, everybody tunes in. 
I don't, you know, Mark Levin's another show that I pre-record and I fast forward through the parts that interest me. You know, I've heard enough Gordon Chang to last me a lifetime. There's a lot of the interviews. You know, I love Victor Davis Hanson, but you can overuse Victor as well. But I I watched that show last night. I don't even know if it was, I think it was weeks old, but I had not seen it. I watched that show. I was riveted to it because I find um, Mark Levin interesting and I definitely find Donald Trump interesting. But I'm telling you, if my instincts are as good as I think they are, he will soon be parting ways with Fox as well. Maria Bartiromo, start counting your days. Start looking, you know, back at, uh, you know, Fox. Well, I guess she she would be out of all Fox stations. I don't think CNBC is going to pick up. These guys that all start should all start their own network. They really should. You know, Bill O'Reilly's got stuff going on. I know a lot of them appearing on Newsmax now. Um, you know, Chris Ruddy, Ruddy's the only person in a position to, you know, maybe handle all this talent. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you better be able to do your own research. You better stop trusting any of these networks. I don't care what they say they are. You know, because the, the powers that be have made a determination, including conservative powers, that they will do anything to keep Donald Trump out of the White House. And if my instincts again are correct, the people are going to rise up. And if the people rise up, they'll destroy all these cable news networks. That we'll just stop watching them. You know, we have alternatives now. We have streaming platforms. And and I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm tired of them censoring the information I'm able to get. They don't want me to hear about Trump. They don't want me to hear about um, Hunter Biden. They don't want me to hear, you know, forget it. You know, I'm going to direct sources as much as possible. There's a handful of journalists out there who's still writing. I think Elon Musk is positioned right now. Everybody was like, oh, he took such a beating. He, he admits he, he paid twice what it was worth for Twitter. Let me tell you something. Twitter may be the next most viewed news source in just a little while. Just saying, you know. Um, no, I'm prophesying, okay? That's my, my thinking, that uh, the timing is is all leading towards those of us who want unadulterated news and some edgy stuff. And we want to be allowed to decide what we believe and what we don't believe. We know how to do further research. I don't, I don't take everything Tucker Carlson or uh, Mark Levin says or Sean Hannity or anybody else. I don't take it and say, oh, well, that's, that must be the truth. No. I say, well, that's interesting. Let me find out. Can I find any verification for that? Is there a, uh, you know, they, have they cited a source? Is this anonymous? Who, what's going on? We have that capability now. Every one of us in our cell phones, no less. So they're doing themselves in. Because the only thing that has kept a few people watching these networks is maybe they have an affection or an attraction to a particular host and to their style. And if you eliminate every controversial host from Fox, then I might as well watch, uh, you know, I might as well watch my, the, the lint in my belly button is what I might as well watch. Anyway, I got to take a break. Stay right where you are. I got a lot more to talk about today, and the hour is ticking away. Time. Time is uh, precious. I'll be right back. All right, so get out your scorecards, because not only is uh, Tucker Carlson out at Fox, 
Susan Rice is out at the White House, um, a person who I have absolutely nothing but uh, contempt for. Can I say that? Um, she had she was supposed to, for a period of time they thought she would be his running mate before he picked that giggling mess that you can see on my uh, daily download today. Oh my gosh! Uh, every time I think she couldn't possibly be any worse, Kamala Harris, she she goes that one step further to prove she can be. But uh, Susan Rice didn't get that job, and instead, Joe Biden named her his top domestic policy chief which he said a lot of people were surprised by. Um, uh, you know, she, I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. Because she's sta stepping down in May, according to a senior administration official who spoke on the condition of anonymity. Here we go again. Nobody ever wants to say, well, I know this is happening and I'm willing to tell the American people they have a right to know. No, no. NBC News, which first reported on her departure, said her last day would be May 26th. She has not specified what her plans after leaving the White House would be and could not be reached immediately on Monday. As chair of the Domestic Policy Council, Rice was responsible for overseeing a vast policy portfolio that included economic mobility, health care, and immigration. Uh-oh. Mm. How are we doing on those areas? Uh, yeah, let, let, let's, let's look at economic mobility. A lot of people out of work, including Tucker Carlson today. A lot more people having trouble getting a job, including probably Susan Rice. Healthcare, how are we doing on healthcare, my friends? Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but you know, if you're not collecting Medicare or making three hundred to $500,000 a year, you're probably struggling with healthcare costs. So that means the vast majority of Americans. Immigration, okay, now there's an interesting policy issue, right? Immigration, and it's about to get way more interesting when Title 42 expires. Uh, you know, she expanded the Affordable Care Act. Well, that makes sense, she was in on the original. Enabling Medicare to negotiate lower prescription drug prices for seniors and to cap the cost of insulin at $35. And then, of course, she's taking credit for taking historic actions to reduce gun violence. And what exactly are those historic actions? I'm just, I'll, I have a, a, a few minutes. I'll just wait here. I'll hum a tune, and you all just start listing them and send them to me in an email. Do, 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 do. Historic actions to reduce gun violence. How about arming police officers instead of defunding them? Just saying. Do, 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 do. And of course, increasing access to child care and long-term care, among other achievements. Really? I haven't noticed uh, uh, increased access to child care, have you? You know, I got... Families at my church who, um, you know, the mother has to work full time to afford part time childcare. Fathers changing hours, parents can't sit together with their children because they can't afford childcare. But don't worry, because Susan Rice apparently did something about that. And long term care, oh, absolutely. You know, I'm watching a, a friend right now struggling to find a place to live. He's got 
uh, you know, serious disabilities, and uh, eh, maybe his Social Security check is too big. I don't know, but he can't find placement. So w what's the long-term care achievement that Susan Rice can put down on her resume? You know, listen, the only person who's ever going to praise Susan Rice for her work on immigration is Joe Biden, okay? Because when they reversed what they referred to as the harmful immigration policies of the Trump administration, when they reunified more than 670 kids that were separated from their families, who, by the way, were separated from their families because their parents sent them ahead, then the list goes on and on. Millions of undocumented foreign people have entered our country under Susan Rice's domestic policy initiatives on immigration, and somehow she deserves a congratulations? Oh, and by the way, I think she was also part of the ensuring racial equity being incorporated into all of the administration's policies. That's right. And we know how well that has worked, right? All that inclusion that the Biden administration was so hepped up on and insisted on, including the inclusion of the uh, transgendered nuclear uh, waste guy who was stealing in airports from African designers. Oh, uh, maybe I shouldn't say transgender. He's non-binary. See, I, I, I can't keep track. I don't know what non-binary means. I don't know what transgendered means anymore because they just keep uh, you know, moving the goalposts. Now, anybody who has ever at any moment in their life thought, gee, I wish I was a guy. That's it. You now qualify as one of the 170 other genders. If nothing else, we'll just call you Q. What does Q stand for? Okay. I've asked 100 people, what does Q, LGBTQ plus, what does the Q stand for? It does not stand for queer, which I'm, is what most people said to me, which would have been, you know, uh, kind of awful, right? We don't use language like that. It does not stand for that. It stands for questioning. Questioning? What does that even mean? You either is or you ain't. Is you is or is you ain't my baby. Is you is or is you ain't a man. This is ridiculous. And we've allowed this like nonsense through the Rices of the world, the Susan Rices and the Joe Bidens and the Kamala Harrises to go on. Rachel Levine is the admiral, you know, and, and, and you look at that person and you think to yourself, hey, honey, not for nothing. Nobody's buying it. You can call yourself Rachel. You could do, you know, you could keep wearing dresses, but nobody who looks at you isn't thinking, she reminds she looked like a man. Remember that Saturday night skit? The little Asian person? She looked like a man. Yeah. Yeah, she looked like a man. And that's why I say all this stuff that Rice was tasked with, racial equity, okay. You know, oh, we must have a black female vice president. We must have a black female Supreme Court judge. We must have a black female this and a black female that. Hey, if you happen to be the best of your, uh, you know, profession and you happen to also be black and a female, come on down. You know, we want you. But that shouldn't be the overriding qualification for any position of any kind ever. The color of someone's skin? Racial equity. I'm so sick of hearing this. Biden said she was 
the only person in U.S. history to serve as both national security advisor and domestic policy advisor. I wouldn't brag about that if I was Joe Biden, just saying. You know, what sets her apart as a leader and colleague is the seriousness with which she takes her role and the urgency and tenacity she brings her You know, these are the very characteristics that drive them crazy about Donald Trump, right? The seriousness with which he takes his role as commander-in-chief and as, uh, you know, chief economic advisor. The urgency and the tenacity that he brings, they hate that. But in Susan Rice, it's wonderful. Her bias towards action and results. Well, that sounds to me like a description of Donald Trump. And her humility and her humor. I mean, really. In a social media post, Rice said she was deeply grateful to Joe Biden for trusting her to serve as domestic policy advisor and praised the teams. There are no more dedicated public servants and they all out of work now. <coughs> there are no more dedicated unemployed people than Susan Rice and Tucker Carlson. Just saying. Anyway, don't forget Dan Bongino's coming up at one o'clock, Ben Shapiro at four, but I have another segment left. I will be right back. So funny, I was saying that, uh, you know, that uh, Newsmax and, and Chris Ruddy are in a great position right now with all these, you know, very popular hosts with number one ratings being let go for Tucker Carlson now out at Fox. He became the network's most popular personality after he replaced Bill O'Reilly in 2016. He's been a controversial host, questions the support for Ukraine, uh, da, 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 da. and of course, uh, Kevin McCarthy had gave, given him January 6th footage. You know, this is, this is all going to play out in a very interesting manner, and you, forgive me, okay, because I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but doesn't it seem curious to anybody that we're coming up on probably one of the most important presidential elections ever, one where we have lost our confidence in the electoral process, and we're not going to have uh, a lot of the news sources that we're kind of used to. That's, uh, that's a cause of concern for me. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to find that a cause of concern. I was also fascinated, I'm sure, you know, for any of you who saw that, and, and like I said, I don't know if that interview um, about the letters to Trump with Mark Levin and Donald Trump had aired prior. I, 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 if it did, I didn't see it. But at one point, he was talking about Richard Nixon. And I, I you know, look, um, people know that my son and I are Nixon files. Um, what's his name? Roger Stone is the ultimate Nixon file. My, my son named his daughter, his first child, Nixon. We are, um, we have studied the presidency, we have studied Richard Nixon, the man, and while there were a lot of flaws to the man and, and, and numerous uh, policy flaws to Richard Nixon, 
we stand in agreement, my son and I, and believe me, we don't stand in agreement on very many things. If you listen to our segments on Friday, you know that. But we stand in agreement that Nixon was one of the best presidents that this country has ever had and got a very bad deal. He just didn't have support. And Donald Trump said that in the interview that I saw last night. And, and he compared himself to Nixon in that the Republican Party also did not support Donald Trump. And that he had many letters that had uh, been sent to him by Richard Nixon. And he said that at one point he had asked Richard Nixon what his you know biggest regret was. And he said that his biggest regret was that he didn't fight his impeachment. He said he was a very tough guy. He was, I guess some people would say this about me too, this is Trump speaking, he was his own worst enemy, Trump said of Nixon. I mean, I can say that a little bit about myself, much less so than people think, I will say. And so it was, a, it was fascinating because it gives me a whole new line of uh, conversation with my son, who really just, you know, um, has a very low opinion of Donald Trump, but you see, people who live in California, particularly people who live in Los Angeles and are part of that whole Hollywood mess, they're not very connected to Main Street. You know, um, Beverly Hills is about as far away from Main Street as you can get. And while my son is a brilliant jurist and a, a, a brilliant guy and a, and a very decent man, he has that that inability to separate the, the political from the societal when it comes to Donald Trump. He can do it with a number of other politicians, which is interesting. He could support Republicans and has. He was a, you know, the head of John McCain for president. Oh, that was embarrassing. But he, you know, he can support Republicans you know, vigorously, but he just got infected with that Trump derangement syndrome much to, to a much lesser extent than most people. But I don't understand what it is that, you know, literally just causes people to, oh, great, CNN has now fired Don Lemon. I'm stunned, Lemon said in a message posted on Twitter on Monday saying his agent had informed him of his firing by CNN President Chris Licht. The Hill has confirmed Lemon's exit with CNN. Licht said in a memo to CNN workers that CNN and Don have parted ways. Don will forever be a part of the CNN family, and we thank him for his contributions. So Tucker's gone. Dan Bongino last week was gone. And now Don Lemon, Don Lemon, is gone just in time for an election. Not for nothing, my friends. But if, you don't, if this doesn't stink to you guys, you might have COVID because your olfactory is not working well. You know, if you can't smell the stink on all this, how suddenly today, anybody who's at minimally controversial is out of the cable news business. Mm. I got a bridge that I would like to sell you.
it's crazy. It really is. I'm, I'm just, look, I, I don't like Don Lamont. I'm not a cheerleader for Tucker Carlson. I was never a cheerleader for Bill O'Reilly, but I will say I think he's one of the most talented men I have ever met in my life, bar none. Um, but I wasn't a cheerleader for him, you know. Um, I'm certainly not a, a, a cheerleader for Jeff Schell. He's another one. He got He's out at, at, at uh, NBC Universal, the CEO. He got pushed out or he left, whatever the story is, after admitting to or being outed for an inappropriate relationship. I it just, I sit here and I think to myself, where are you going to get your information? Because what they want is for you to not have information. They really do. They don't like the Dan Bonginos and the Tucker Carlson's. They don't like even the Don Lemons. They just don't like people who might move the needle in one direction or another. And you see, I do, because what they do is they trigger the need in me to go a little deeper and find out the truth. But we'll see what happens. Anyway, I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon. There's certainly going to be lots to talk about, isn't there? If it be his will and he delays his coming, um, what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. May God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. And I sure hope all these unemployed guys find jobs. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.